my name is Paulo and you're listening to Designer DAO. Designer DAO is a place where we talk about everything web and design. Today we're here with my good friend Ray Kanani and we're going to talk about design for Web3, uh, for DAOs, how to do that. And um, Ray, what? Uh, how do you want to start this off? Um, well, as you know, I've been thinking a lot about prompts. Those those small little questions that, when asked, kind of reshape, have the potential to reshape um, our lens. And so I've been. Um, I was. I was mentioned to you that I I sat down one day and it's funny because um, I thought it would have been a really hard task to write out prompts. Um, but within like 10 minutes, I'd written down over a hundred prompts in an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and, and actually one of my favorite prompts is what comes easy today. And uh, that, that activity definitely came easy in that moment. Um, and so now I have this like catalog of prompts that I frequently look at and um, call upon. And, um, and and we were just chatting about like physical versus digital. And so I've printed out some prompt cards that um, I have on my desk. I thought we could do one if you would like. Yes, please. Um, I, I just wanted to say I'm pretty pumped about this as I've uh, witnessed um, your skills in facilitating uh, moments with people. Mm. Um, and uh, um, I think I've seen a few of those prompts and I'm always struck by how they um, stop you in your tracks and make you think mm. about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So let's do it. Cool. And and um, I have a, I, I just want to know, I have a wonderful person in my network who I connect with every two weeks and they have the best prompts. And if you don't, if you, if you have, if you don't have that, uh, I, I definitely recommend seeking out a, a, a human or whatever it could be a deck of cards or whatnot. But, uh, I, I find humans are wonderful because you can, you can share context with them and they'll pull out, uh, from their catalog of prompts that just, reshape your day um and so a lot of my inspiration comes from them um okay so the prompt i have in front of me is and and also i'll just preface this uh you don't have to answer the prompt (laughs) (laughs) um it is not a test it is not a performance uh there is no grading um in fact, what I have found with these prompts is uh, I don't know the answer right away, and that's okay. And that and that probably just speaks to the prompt, right? Because it's like shifts you, and you're like, oh, I gotta think about that one. Um, so the prompt in front of me is, "What might you get you closer to your purpose today?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you you don't really need to answer it, right? You just need to, yeah. to read it and yeah. uh, reflect on it. <laughs> and it will ruminate in your head. Mm-hmm. And uh, your energy might organically move you to things that get you closer to your purpose. Um, so that is the prompt from the deck. Yeah. And um, in that prompt, I think it's interesting to try to define what your purpose is I don't, i'm not sure if uh if most people have a ready-made definition that uh, they can pull out when they're asked hey what's your purpose in here um yeah that's a good prompt and that act of reflecting on hey what is my purpose might actually be the thing that gets you closer to your purpose today. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think sometimes um, it's funny, right? We think, hey, what's um, 
what's the purpose of the brands that we interface with regularly and are constantly telling us what their purpose is, right? Uh, I think of brands like Nike or Apple or Tesla or whatever. And, and if I'm like, hey, what's Tesla's purpose? It's like, boom, I can tell you right away, right? And then it's like, hey, what's your purpose? And it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't spent time really to think about that. Um, and so I find that fascinating that we are so connected to uh, the purpose of brands that but we spend very little time thinking about our own personal purpose or the purpose or even asking. Uh, and I, I love this about prompt cards. You get to ask people questions that you otherwise wouldn't feel comfortable asking like, Hey, what is your purpose? Like what, what does drive you? Right. Uh, asking that of people around you and being able to connect that way. Yeah. It's a, it's just out of the gate, starting with one of those things, one of those questions is a, uh, it, it helps. It helps to have an excuse of like, "Oh, this is a prompt of the card that I have." Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they are they are useful in uh, and it sinks to the um, utility of good questions and good prompts, right? In the right time, oh, yeah. um, and sometimes uh, you face a question in a particular moment, but you don't, you know, you don't care about it. But then the same question in a different moment makes all the sense. And mm-hmm. uh, makes you reconsider what mm-hmm. you were you were trying to do. Um, I know the I know that the design. I know we probably have a lot of designers listening. Uh, I'll just say, design like really good designers ask the most wonderful questions. Uh, yeah. I think that's a really great signal of uh, of of experience. Uh, is the types of questions that people ask. Yeah. And um, in the, in in a in a bunch of situations, they don't need they don't need the, they don't even need to be wonderful questions. They they can be you know uh, rough questions or not so mm-hmm. fleshed out. But mm-hmm. if they are if they are asked in a particular moment in a particular way, they still uh, um, invoke the change that maybe we want to invoke. Yeah, yeah. The power of asking questions is it's really 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 big. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um, the speed of design and the um, um, the common uh, perception that there is out there that you need to move fast and break things and uh, you need to iterate and be agile and <laughs> you know all those buzzwords and I'm not going to try to to drop anymore um and um i've wanted to talk to you about that because every time i've uh, worked with you i've noticed that you usually bring a sense of um um awareness about what people are doing uh, and you ask uh wonderful questions by saying things to the to the likes of are we um are we uh, working towards solving our root cause, our root problems, for example? Mm. Are mm. we thinking about outcomes instead of outputs? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those kinds of those kinds of um, questions and 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 prompts that I've seen you do uh, usually um, put up the brakes on the. Um, speed at which people are trying to do stuff and they want everything done for tomorrow and as fast as possible. And we need to do this because there's competitors doing the same, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes your prompts basically put the brakes on that and force people to reflect on what they're really doing and if it's the right thing or not. Mm -hmm. And um, at least from my experience working with you, uh, every time you've done it, the uh, outcome of that conversation has been better than if we hadn't just uh, reflected mm-hmm. on it. So I guess my question is, how do you sense that a group of people that are trying to collaborate together uh, is maybe not going to, not going down the right path? Maybe there's yeah. some stones unturned. Maybe there's 
some mm-hmm. more things to reflect about and mm-hmm. uh how do you uh start the process of getting that group of people to actually find out the root cause of their troubles right yeah um i think one of the one of the things that i noticed in myself and others is we get super excited about solutions <laughs> <laughs> we come to the table, we're like, here's what we need to do, right? Um, and you get a group of people together, let's say five, just for an example, and um, they all are coming. And as, and it's funny, <laughs> I relate it a lot to therapy because in couples therapy, uh, you've, you'll notice like couples come to the table with solutions and they want the therapist just to pick the one that's right, right? And I think the same is with facilitation is a group will come to the table and be like, we just can't decide on what the right path forward is. Uh, and we need a facilitator to help us kind of argue it out in a way where we're not like being violent, I guess, uh, because that probably has happened and people's feelings have gotten hurt. Um, And so they come to the table and they're like, okay, facilitator, help us decide on the solution that is the right solution. Um, and whenever that framing happens, which I'd say is like 99.9% of the time, uh, I immediately ask, what's the problem? And is that, I mean, what a simple prompt, right? Like, what is the problem? What is the problem you are trying to solve? And again, 99.9% of the time, the five people will see the problem differently. Um, you know, oh, our competitors are catching up and we need to release more stuff. Otherwise, uh, they'll take our customer base. Okay, cool. And someone else might say, our employees are unhappy or our members in the DAO are unhappy and a lot of them aren't engaging or going up to other DAOs. We need to do more stuff for them, blah, blah, blah. And they'll all say like different problems. Um And so that then leads, well, that's an eye-opening experience for them right away, right? It's like, oh, that's why we can't agree on a solution because we're all looking at different problems. Um, but then I think from there, it's helping the group like be like, hey, no, it's okay that we're all seeing different problems. But if we dug deep into some of these, could we find common root problems? Uh, and that's as simple as just asking why, right? Like, what is our hypothesis on our competitors catching up? Or what is our hypothesis on uh, our members being disengaged? And, uh, you know, in, in root cause analysis, the the cliche is ask why five times and you'll get pretty close. Um, but I think what I noticed is ask why enough and you'll start to see... Um, the roots kind of spread out to those problems that the group has outlined that feel very different. Um, and, and you, you have a wonderful aha moment in, uh, problem solving when five people come to the table, all seeing a problem different, all having different solutions in their head and then get to a common root problem. And it's like, whoa, we can actually, wrap our head around this and solve this together. We don't have to fight. We can, we can have a common grounding, which is we all agree this is a problem. Um, and then we can work together to run experiments on how to solve. Uh, and I, ideally, this is a problem that's like, hey, I have no idea how to solve it because that's the truth. <laughs> um, The truth is we have no idea how to solve problems. Uh, the solution in our head is wrong um, and we just don't know it until we implement it. So helping them move to then an experimental mindset uh, and think about how we can do things uh, to learn. And I think, um, you know, to your point of, move fast break things and agile and all those kind of things. I think they're rooted in, in something that uh, I believe in, but has often gets lost um, because we just read the words and think like, Oh, okay. We all kind of interpret them as like, just, just get shit done. 
and get getting shit done equals good. Um, but when we think about like experiments, it's oftentimes people, uh, I'll, I'll, another prompt that I like is when someone says, oh, we could run this, we could do this. And I ask, oh, okay, how long do you think that might take? And they're like, oh, probably a quarter, probably a couple months. Uh, and I was like, okay, let's create a container. What might we learn in a week or a day? And they look at me like, oh no, like that doesn't sound like a, a good idea, but if you can get them to a place where they're ideating and someone might, someone else might say, oh, we could do this. Right. Like, um, and then, and then the light bulbs kind of go on and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like if our goal is to learn versus solve, right. If our goal is to learn instead of solve, um, we can actually move in a way faster, but it feels more gentle, uh, more compassionate, more humane. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, everybody with, everybody listening to that approach would have a really hard time trying to disprove it because um, it, it does sound like the, the, the best approach of doing things. Uh, and I, 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 I've imagined that all of us have been in situations where we wish people had stopped for a bit and reflect on, are we really solving a problem that exists? Do we really have a good understanding of what the problem we're trying to solve is? Mm-hmm. And also the courage to face that a reality of, oh, damn, we were thinking about something uh, completely off compared to what we now understand to be the root cause of this problem, right? Because usually what happens when you do root cause analysis is that you get, you come up to a problem that is very different and not solved, not solvable with the solutions that you had in mind for a more superficial problem, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think it takes uh, courage, either individual courage or collaborative courage for a group to face that and to say, oh, damn, we're going down the, rat- the wrong path and uh, we're glad we caught ourselves and uh, reframed what we're trying to do and and have a better understanding of a problem. And now we're thinking about the solutions to solve this root problem, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something you could do again and again and, and uh, usually it leads to better outcomes. But... Um, I would say that not every human being is in a place either emotionally or um, physically or in whatever dimension to be able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we deal with other humans uh, in our work where um, maybe they don't want to reframe the problem. Maybe they don't want to waste time going backwards (laughs) to see if... uh, if um, if they're solving the right thing or not. Maybe mm-hmm. they're super convinced that this is the right thing to solve, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I think there's there's a, a um, there's a, a type of um, emotional availability that is required to be able to do this kind of thing. Um, and not not everybody is um, available for that let's say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think it's compassion for self and for others um that can be helpful in those situations um, i've been in cases where um you know leading product teams um your your product managers and your engineering team want to get to root root causes because you know, it's their energy that gets exerted to solve for these things that are getting pushed down to them, um, in some cases from marketing or from sales. Um, and, and sales team might say, hey, we, you know, we really want to close this customer and they want this feature and we need to put on the roadmap ASAP. And I think the same is in, in Web3 as well, uh, where like there will be people of influence or someone who sees a particular problem and says like, Hey, we really need this. Um, and I want, you know, I'm going to fund it or whatnot. Um, 
and then but then in your head you're thinking oh but that that doesn't sound like the root problem to solve that just sounds like a symptom to something else um but the actually when you dig into it it's whose problem because <laughs> the salesperson saying this customer has a problem we really need to solve it asap like we need to go fast and when you dig in and ask them why 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 i have a sales quota to hit and we need to hit it in two weeks and you're like ah okay cool that's the root problem right that's the thing that's driving that desire from moving quickly um and so now you get to go to the table and say, hey, could we put that problem on the table and bring certain folks in, you know, a diverse group, hopefully, and say, like, how might we solve that? And just just to explore if there's any other opportunities. Um, and most of the time they're like, yeah, okay, cool. As long as we're talking about, like, the thing that's keeping me up at night, which actually isn't this feature that needs to get released, but it's this quota that needs to get hit. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can actually um, collaborate because you're talking about the same problem. Yeah, but it, it takes this um, almost like unfolding all the layers <laughs> to get to the root cause, right? And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it I, is I felt compassion because. Uh, if you don't have it, I think it makes it harder to take the time to really better understand, like, what is going on at the root of this person who maybe is saying, like, we got to move fast. We got to move fast and break stuff. Like, I just wish, like, <laughs> someone was around these people who decided that was a thing that they should do and was compassionate enough to be like, Hey, what's, what's going on? What's driving this like energy towards getting shit done quickly uh, in a, in a way that could be hazardous um, to self and others. And I wonder what might have been uncovered uh, if, if they had that opportunity yeah and um and as designers we are used to or we should be used to fight for having empathy for the users and sometimes we forget that we should also have empathy for our colleagues and collaborators um and uh i i'm hearing that the, the compassion that you're talking about in a certain way, it's also having empathy about, oh, this product manager that I'm dealing with or this engineer that I'm dealing with or whatever it is, he is also going through stuff and he's also has his own motivations and his own incentives at play. Mm -hmm. And um, um, as, a, uh, as someone that, um, a designer that uh, uses empathy to relate to cus to users and customers and try to design the best thing for them. We should also maybe do more about do more of that for for our uh, for the people that we work with um, to also try to um, understand where they're coming from and why they are pushing what they're pushing, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when what they're pushing goes against our interests because. It is pretty easy to have empathy for others when you agree with them, but it's not so easy to have empathy for others when you disagree with them. Mm -hmm. But that's the one that really counts, actually, I would say. Yeah, I, and just to um, follow up on the story of, like, we need to put this on the roadmap to close this client. Uh, that, this, actually, this actually happened. We sat down. We had a, a, a bunch of stakeholders from different departments and we actually came up with a strategy to close the customer without uh, building anything. <laughs> uh, and it, it just required a better understanding of, and a, a team effort, right? Uh, which is, I think, what the, this person in this department was struggling with. Was they felt alone on this journey um, where it says, hey, you know what? Let's, let's actually engage with the customer, learn, let's build trust, um, let's let's share our design process with them and get feedback on that. Something that the sales or the other person, and I'm trying to relate it to Dallas because I also think it's related to Dallas as well, is that you have 
all these different people with different experiences and different perspectives. Um, but sharing that our design process was not in the competence realm of the salesperson, right? Um, and they they didn't even know to come to us and be like, hey, could you share like how we design products in the organization? Because I think it's going to close this customer. They didn't, that's not their realm. Their realm is sell a roadmap, get, a, get customers. Um, and so just by doing that, you can then... Uh, allow for doing it in a way that again feels more gentle more compassionate uh, more focused on the root problems yeah yeah um i've seen you um facilitate a bunch of workshops mm -hmm. over the past year mm -hmm. um and um I wanted to talk to you about uh, what it takes to facilitate a workshop successfully. Mm. And uh, from the point of view of the facilitator, what should be the mindset and approach to doing that? And I'm asking you because I think you're a good example of doing it uh, <laughs> gently. I think it's mm -hmm. the adjective that I want to use. Uh, but still, uh, maybe surprising to some getting results uh, in the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in any, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just have a caveat. Like the, the workshops that I, I feel comfortable facilitating are, are ones where uh, the group uh, has, a, has a relationship with each other. So it's not a, a bunch of people who don't yet know each other. I think that if they don't yet know each other, that's probably a problem worth solving first. Um, and usually about five to eight people, I think once you start to get more than that, it starts to get difficult in terms of participation and diverse participation. Um, I think about when entering a facilitation engagement, the beginning and the end, because you're going on a journey together, you're you're starting at a place and you're gonna end at a place, right? And I think as long as you don't end at the place you started, then something happened in that session that moved people, right? Uh, that's a, that, that's, a, that's a, a beautiful way to put it. And it's, and it kind of takes off the, the um, you know, this, the, uh, overwhelmness of facilitating the workshop, right? Because some people that are uh, thinking about facilitating a workshop, they maybe overthink it and maybe uh, try to, you know, plan everything and try to um, um, account for all the variables. Mm -hmm. But honestly, just like you said, you're going on a journey together. And really the only thing that matters is that you don't end up exactly where you started, right? <laughs> because if you don't, then you have progress. You can you can, you can end uh, a little bit um, uh, backwards from where you started. You can end uh, a little bit forwards than when you started, for sure. But um, either way, it's a journey where people discover stuff. So mm -hmm. that's like that's that's I think a good a good a good way of framing it, so that it takes the edge of of this overwhelmness that it is sometimes to do a workshop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the hard part can be helping others who might have strong opinions on where they want to be by the end of it. Um, and, and sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Like I've run workshops where someone has a strong opinion that like by the end of this workshop, we should have X, Y, Z, and we should be taking action on on all this and we should have alignment everyone should be thinking the same right i think that's usually <laughs> usually what this person is looking for is like everyone should be on my page and think the same way as me by the end of this workshop so that we can actually do things because we're not doing things uh, enough we're not doing enough things and, and, uh, and it is a real danger when that person is one with the most authority in the group and mm. and um the one that's facilitating the workshop and so on mm -hmm. and so forth, of course keeping it keeping that person in mind again being compassionate uh trying to better understand like what is driving this this person's needs right um 
and and usually there's something that they're holding within themselves um because i think in the in the past i probably wasn't very compassionate to those people it's just like get out the way you're you're ruining everything kind of deal um but actually when i have compassion for these people uh, and really try to better understand what's driving it usually they're trying to protect the group from some pressure that they are holding internally um and and they're really scared about it and that's what's driving this like we need to get shit done um and if we can bring that out from them right because as a facilitator I, i'm always looking for tension that's that's like you look for tension and then you kind of try to go into it as much as you can right and so um that's why like doing online um i found having the camera on can be helpful um listening to people's voice like how they're saying things or if they haven't said things in a while um, or even miro i find miro fascinating cuz sometimes you can see like behavior on the board itself where you're like oh that one that sticky there that keeps getting moved around or reworded or different colors different tags um let's 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 hone in on that thing um because that feels like there's something there that if said out loud would benefit the group um and so th- that person can bring a lot of great tension uh even with myself cuz they want to go fast and I'm trying to slow things down <laughs> and it's like <laughs> okay let's can we take a minute just to better understand what is driving this desire for everyone to think the same way so that things can get done done in quotation marks um yeah, yeah there's uh, a lot there's a lot uh, but yeah thinking about the beginning and the end is helpful uh you if if that's just something that I think um is the the core of uh doing things together with people which is to uh sort out the tensions mm-hmm. and um again it, it's something that i think needs um um the participants to have the courage to share it even because sometimes you're working in an in an environment where it's not safe to share some tension right Yeah. And it, I, I believe it's the role of the facilitator to make that space and make that um, environment welcoming to the sharing of tension. There's and, only so much a facilitator can do, though, right? So you're facilitating at a specific point in time. You have a container. Uh, and so you... you as a facilitator you want to spend as much time thinking about how do i create as much safety as possible in this container but at the end of the day if someone feel if someone doesn't feel safe entering the container and then exiting the container they will be thinking about like what is life going to be like once this container dissolves right Is there um, going to be repercussions from this? <laughs> But there are techniques, right? There are things like um creating a container contra- creating a anonymous feedback mechanism within the session, right? So using another tool on the side for and letting people know if you're not comfortable um sharing in a way where your name is tied to things, please share here and keeping an eye on those types of things as well. Um, yeah, there are tensions that could come up where you are completely unequipped to uh dive into it or you know that if you did it's you know you have five people on the call and it's going to really be a session with just two people if we dive into that tension and you want to make sure that everyone is engaged so um kind of recognizing recognizing that um is also an art form <laughs> Yeah, that uh, intuition of facilitator is mm. is really um I I believe something that is is only, you know, trained by experience, so to say. Oh, and 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 to be and to be open to um sense 
uh, people and different types of people in different types of contexts and different types of situations and how they might um, how they might um, behave. But um, why is this is this thing important? Why is it important to flesh out the tensions within the group? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> why is it important? Um, well, I think most ideas fail in the market, right? Most things will not be valuable um, to the audience that you want it to be valuable to. Um, I would say, I'll just reframe it. It's actually not important to flesh out tensions depending on the outcome you want, right? Uh, and so, and I think this is why some of those um, uh, product visionaries are heralded and like seen as like, well, they just came into a room and said, we need to do this. And then they did it. And then they sold like a bunch of product and, and, why can't we just operate like that, right? Uh, and I would say, if you want to go build a product for yourself, like you are the target user um, and you are, you know, you feel really confident that you know a bunch of people just like you um, who could get value from the thing you're trying to build, tension might not be that helpful, right? <laughs> because it's like, you know what you need and you know what that group of people need. Uh, and so really what you're looking for maybe is a bunch of people just to build something that you don't have the capability to build yourself and you want to build it for you and you want to build it for a bunch of friends and people who look and sound just like you, right? Um, but if you're trying to build something that is for a diverse group of people or maybe a group of people who are underserved in a market, um, then you actually don't know what to build yet or do yet. Um, and um, I think that's where tension on a product design perspective makes sense because you want to get into the the aha moments, I think, live in the person who sees things differently and can work with another person who sees things differently to find um, a creative solution that can hold both things true. That's usually like where innovation comes, right? It's like, uh, can two conflicting ideas actually be true? Can uh, I fit a thousand songs in my pocket. You know, there's a tent that at, at some point in time, that was a tension, right? There were people who were like, no way, that's impossible. Uh, and, they're, you know, you're talking like battery life, you're talking about size of device, you're talking about price point, all these kind of things, right? And so instead of ignoring all those things, bring those tensions in and be like, can we hold those as truth? What, like, what would allow those things to actually be mitigated because they're all important they're all perspectives they're important the fact that you even believe or feel so strongly about it tells me that you know enough to potentially go out and solve for it so i think that's why tension is important when we think about product to my point around like if you're building something for yourself uh and a bunch of people who look like you and you just want and you feel really confident about like here's the roadmap here's how it should be designed here's how it should be looked all that kind of stuff that's great. You're going to hire people. You're going to bring people or you're going to maybe create a DAO. You're going to have members come in and then you're going to have tension around how we build stuff, uh, how, how much people get paid, how meetings are conducted. Uh, because you are not a bunch of people who all look the same and act the same. Um, and so you will have to problem solve or diverse groups of people, no matter what your organization is. Um, and again, that's where you'll seek tension as well. And, and just on a side point, something interesting when facilitating is sometimes you'll come in and be like, here's the problem. For example, our product quality isn't where it needs to be. There's too many uh, people calling support or 
yeah and and and, um, and then you dig into the roots and the roots is actually um compensation <laughs> and they're like what <laughs> and it's like yeah like if you actually solve for how people incentivize and compensated uh the quality of your product will go up and it's like oh okay yeah like let's go solve for that hopefully yeah um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I do think there's a very um, knit, tight-knit relationship between um, finding gold, let's call it, in a, in mm. a collaborative environment mm. and embracing the tension between the participants. Because, um, um, as you said, the, the, the tension and the friction between two people that think differently but they still figure out a way to accomplish both of their wants um, is where great innovation comes from. And if that's true, uh, then one, we need people that think differently. So we need diverse groups of people. And just that is a whole, you know, challenge in itself because um, as we all know, nowadays it's not so easy to get groups of people that are, sufficiently diverse and um another point is that every voice matters so mm -hmm. you you would need to listen to everybody in the group and even the quietest person would probably have an opinion that's different from everybody and that's exactly the one that you need to listen and as a facilitator you should um give uh, a voice to, the, to that person or or ask them to to share uh so that the whole group um takes advantage of it and, and learns from that. And so all those things build up on top of each other. And it's almost as if in the end, we are in the situation where, yeah, if you really want to innovate and create great things, you need to optimize for diversity. You need to optimize for tension and you need to seek those things and um, have them play out in the world in the gentlest, in the gentle sure. way possible that you can muster and manage to um, and I, and I really do think that's the promise of web tree and DAOs in a way, which is we are starting from a, 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 a starting point where it is more likely that all voices are weak, are equal in web tree or mm -hmm. all voices should be heard in, in web tree and not so much in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a better starting point for innovation for some problems at least and um, there's a skill set that I think is is missing which is how do we facilitate all of this from happening right <laughs> <laughs> and that's where good facilitation comes in and good uh, collaborative uh, workshops come in and, and all those good stuff that we that we try to do but uh, it, it is, uh, I think, true that um, true innovation comes from people disagreeing with each other and trying to work that out. And yeah. uh, and we should we should create those moments. We should create those spaces and uh, where that can happen more often than not. Mm -hmm. And we should not shy away from doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at like you look at. I think it'd be a wonderful exercise is probably to look at innovations and ask what were the, what were the things that were typically seen as untrue in terms of if one exists, the other cannot. And, um, the, what, the, what, how it broke the mold, how it was, how it did both. Right. And I think, um, you know, Tesla with electric cars, wonderful job in terms of, uh, before that, if you said, I'm going to build an electric car, it's like, oh, that's a niche, hippie, very expensive, uh, low range uh, type of product, because that's typically what they were before that. Uh, and it's not, electric cars were not sexy. And, and no one thought they ever could be, right? And now look at it, it's like, uh, it, it's completely changed the the script and i i think that's what innovation 
I think again, a wonderful exercise would be to look at look at your favorite products, look at your favorite innovations, and ask like, what were the things that before this were seen as binary? Like, if you wanted a sexy car, it would be a muscle car with a big engine. If you wanted a practical car, it would be a a, a small a minivan or uh, or something else, right? And then now the the plaid Tesla Model X or or whatever, and, and it's like, whoa, you can. You can have a car that could outbeat a Bugatti, a, a billion, a hundred million dollar car, and in a, a family sedan. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't pollute the environment while driving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I think I think that's the that's the core of it, and it, I I think it it um, it needs a certain attitude. Mm-hmm. In trying to seek discomfort, trying to seek detention, trying to um, lay it out, lay it out at least. Um, I think I, I, just thinking out loud. I think one of the hardest things about it is the people who don't think it's possible are probably the people who are most equipped to make it possible, uh, because the people who are saying, oh no, that's not possible. You ask them why they're going to outline all the thing, all the details on why that's not possible. Right. They're so well versed on the thing. Uh, they're just, their mindset is towards here's how it won't work. And if you just said a prompt, like, okay, how might it work? Like if, if I was just to frame it, like, how might it work? Like, I'm not saying it will, but if you were to do it, like, how might you do it, right? And I think if you just, again, we're thinking about prompts, if you were able to prompt these people just to think in the inverse, um, in a safe way, because chances are these people don't feel safe to fail, safe to look stupid, right? Um, which is why it's easier to point out all the things that won't that won't work. Because, yeah, cool. I, I could tell you a, a million ways how not to swing a golf club, uh, and I'll be right. Um, but if you can give those people the 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 ability to feel safe while exploring something that is likely really, 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 really hard, um, they're the right people. To be honest. Yeah, and um, sometimes when that uh, journey happens, it's wonderful to see half halfway along the way their eyes start to shine and say, "Oh, damn, maybe." <laughs> <laughs> and then they're they're the most motivated people to make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's 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 that uh, is is a, a proof to the power of a good prompt in the right way in the right moment. Yeah. Because um, it's not, it's not that it's the prompt that creates the knowledge, right? It's not the case, but it can be the prompt that unlocks the knowledge and unlocks the insight and unlocks the uh, secret that we need to solve it. Right. And um, if the prompt is done in the right way, in the right time to the right person in the right context, in the right space, <laughs> which is a lot of variables to take into account. <laughs> But if it is, um, then you're you're unlocking um, yeah. magic. Yeah, and 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 just for folks listening, is like it could be you. You could be the person who thinks something is so impossible, right? And if you were to list out like all the reasons why something won't work, right? Like a, a wonderful exercise. Uh, if if you're thinking, oh, DAOs, this this space where like. There's no titles and people can enter and exit freely um, and ownership is very liquid. All the, And you're like, that will never work. Awesome. List out all the ways it won't work. And then ask, like, how might it? Like, are, the, are each of these things solvable problems or unsolvable problems? The fact that you were able to list out in such clarity and such, like, conviction what they are means you're really close to the problems and you've seen them. But it is what, what the shift just the helpful shift is to then just be like, how might it work? What would 
cause it to work. And that cause might not be like happening now. We might have to wait for that cause to happen in the future, or we might have to be the catalyst of that cause, right? Um, but I can tell you a lot of things can happen that we do not expect to happen. Uh, and that becomes the unlocking right, for capabilities uh, in, in our society. And I think, it, you know, five years ago, we said we're all going to experience a, a, a life-threatening virus around the world that will shut down most institutions. People are like, no. But if you said, like, if that were to happen, what might that unlock? And people were actually designing for a, something where it brings people together in a collective, like, understanding of this is a common problem no matter where you live. Um, yeah. The, what what would what capabilities might come out of that? So, yes, things might not be possible today. Thinking about what might make them possible in the future, thinking about how we might be able to catalyze that or wait for it and see if it happens, but then we'll be ready. Uh, it can be a wonderful exercise. Yeah, it's almost as if the master prompt of them all is how might we blah 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 right which which as as designers we've we've uh, probably i challenge us maybe and, and other people listening pick something you feel so strongly that is not possible right it could be like democrats and republicans getting along or it could be like something really like you're visceral, right? Uh, pick something that you just think like is impossible or even like getting along with your parents or siblings or family. Like these, these are the things that it's just like, and list out all the reasons why and it's probably quite an easy exercise to do. Uh, and then and then use that prompt that you just said, oh, like how might it work? If you were to like explore that space, how might it work? And see if you can give yourself the space and the gentleness and compassion to... Just put some things on the table and see how make, how they make you feel. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure everybody can think about examples in their own lives to do that about and use that prompt to unlock something, hopefully. And even if it doesn't unlock, just the act of reflecting on it might mm -hmm. be helpful. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Yeah, I think we got a good sense uh, of the power prompts and asking the right questions at the right time and having a gentle attitude towards solving problems and exploring tensions. Mm -hmm. With my good friend, Ray Kanani. So <laughs> see you next time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you.